Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Pod. Thank you all for joining me. In this episode, I will take a look at the unanimous preseason number one team in the country, the LSU Tigers, and the team that is right behind them in almost every poll, the Tennessee Volunteers. As always, you can find the 60 Feet 6 Inch LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Pod YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on all the latest content. On Twitter, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Make sure to follow, hit that notification bell, and interact with me on Twitter as well. So if you missed the last episode, I previewed the Pac-12 with Mark Garland from the Weekend Rotation College Baseball Podcast. He also produces content for College Baseball Central and College Softball Central. So look, if you're a college baseball and or a college softball fan, I encourage you to follow Mark and all of his accounts on Twitter. He is a very knowledgeable guy concerning both sports, and it was just a joy to interview him. And I wanted to bring something different to the podcast, taking a trip out west and getting Mark's take on the Pac-12. But before the Pac-12 podcast, I did a preview of Arkansas and Texas A&M in the SEC West. I predicted a second place finish for Arkansas going 17 and 13 and a third-place finish for A&M with a record of 16-14 and 14 in SEC play. Of course, that episode is linked on Twitter, and I will do the same for this one as well, giving you a podcast link and a YouTube channel link. Let's get into it. First up, Tennessee. So the Volunteers were absolutely dominant last year. I know a lot of people don't like them, may not want to admit it, but when you look at their stats, look at their record, they were really, really good. But they didn't get the job done in the end. So for 2022, Tennessee went 57 and 9. Amazing. 25 and 5, which is even more impressive in the SEC. They finished first in the SEC East. They won the SEC tournament. They won their own regional, but they lost in the super regional to Notre Dame. So the Volunteers finished the season ranked number nine. Just an amazing season. One of the more dominant seasons I can remember in uh, the last couple of years. They've just beat the tar out of teams in conference when you go back and look at their schedule you know beating sec teams eight nine ten runs regularly truly impressive but in the end you can ask any volunteer fan they just didn't get it done because they were talking about this being one of the best teams ever in college baseball history but they don't even make it to the college world series when you look at some of their team statistics for 2022 truly impressive they led the conference in batting average at 308 led the conference in slugging runs, hits, doubles, and they also led the country in home runs. So they basically led the SEC in any hitting category imaginable. And they had nine players that hit double-digit home runs for the Vols last year. That's uh, usually you hear five or six, but nine is uh, almost obscene, really. When you look at their pitchers, just as dominant as the hitters, they led the conference in ERA at 2.51, which actually also led the nation. They had an opponent's batting average of 199. They led the SEC and opponent batters struck out. But they were a 13th in save if there was a knock on them. Maybe they didn't have that many save opportunities last year. And they gave up the least amount of hits and runs. So no surprise there for the Tennessee pitching staff. 
The one chink in their armor, when you look at fielding last year, they were sixth in the SEC with a 980 fielding percentage. And really, besides that, all the different fielding categories, nothing really stands out except they did allow the most stolen bases last year. Moving into 2023 for Tennessee, what does their schedule look like? So non-conference, they open up out west at their Major League Baseball Desert Invitational, where they will play Arizona, Grand Canyon, who's a top 25 team in some people's polls, or right on the fringe, and then UC San Diego. They also host Gonzaga, who's been a regional team the past couple years, for a three-game weekend series in Knoxville. Looking at their SEC schedule, I will say they have a very, very tough five-game stretch. A&M at home, followed by at LSU. Then they go back home to play Florida, hit the road again for at Arkansas, and then Vandy at home. So once again, that's A&M at home, at LSU. Florida at home, at Arkansas, Vanderbilt at home. And last year, Tennessee missed out on LSU, Arkansas, and A&M for the West. No can do this year as they get all three of those teams on the Vols schedule for 2023. So it's a very tough test for them. That happens towards the beginning of the SEC schedule. Obviously moves into the middle with how many series that is. But I think it's going to be a very tough test for this team this year from an SEC standpoint. Preseason, they are ranked number two in every poll except for one, which they are ranked third. So right there behind LSU in every uh, college baseball poll throughout the country. Transfer portal, they were ranked as the number three transfer portal class. Let's get into some of these guys because they're going to pay play a uh, big role for the Vols this year. Coming in at number four on the D1 Baseball Top 50 Transfer Portal players, shortstop Maui Ahuna from Kansas. He is an automatic starter, day one, plug and play. He's going to be starting at shortstop for Tennessee to kick off the year. At Kansas, he was an all-Big 12 first-team selection. He also hit 396, which obviously led the team, eight home runs, and 48 RBIs. He was also 13 of 17 on stolen base attempts. Look, Kansas was terrible last year when you look at their record, but I think everybody in the country, more or less, wanted Maui Ahuna, and he chose the Big Orange. So it's going to be exciting to see him play, and when he comes to the box this year to watch him match up against LSU. Coming in at number 14 on the transfer portal rankings is Cincinnati outfielder Griffin Merritt. Once again, day one starter, plug and play. At Cincinnati, he was a 2022 AAC Player of the Year. So American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He hit 315, which was second on the team, and he led the team in home runs and RBIs with 19 and 53, respectively. They also got third baseman Zane Denton from Alabama. He was ranked as the number 47th transfer portal player. Last year for Bama, he hit 263 with 13 home runs and 48 RBIs. So as you can see, they got proven players from proven teams. And those guys are going to slide in automatically to help fill some of the holes that uh, the 2022 team left behind. And there were some massive holes that occurred in Tennessee's lineup from season to season. But those three guys, great pickups for Coach Vitello. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to life in the SEC, except for Zane Denton, who's already played at Alabama. But I would imagine they're going to hit the ground running and really produce results for this year for the Vols. Let's take a look at their roster now from 2022 to 2023. Key hitters that they lost, who's returning. Pitchers that they lost, who's returning. And then I'll get you the prediction here for the Vols. So when you look at their hitters, they lost eight starting position players from last year. 
they lost 77% of their home run production and 79% of their RBI production from 2022. And as a reminder, they led the country in home runs last year. They hit 158 home runs. But just a massive amount of power and run-producing ability that left that volunteer lineup. Some of the names that they lost that you may remember, they lose Drew Gilbert, who led the team with a 362 batting average, 11 home runs, 70 RBIs for that young man. They lost Trey Lipscomb, an infielder, who hit 355. All he did was hit 22 home runs and 84 RBIs. They also lost Joel Ortega, 323, 18 home runs, 61 RBIs. And then finally, Luke Lipsis, 19 home runs and 44 RBIs. And there were some other guys in there, but to me that was just enough to show that they lost a lot. Guys who hit for a high average, guys who could drive the ball out of that ballpark, and guys who could drive in runs. So how are they going to replace some of that firepower? Besides Ahuna and Griffin Merritt from the transfer portal, they return infielder, first baseman, Blake Burke. In 45 games last year, Burke hit 326. He also hit 14 home runs and 32 RBIs in only 45 games. So he wasn't a full-time starter. I wouldn't even say a part-time starter, but uh, he did the job whenever he got his chance. So they'll be looking for him to produce this year as well. They also returned infielder Christian Moore in 51 games for the Vols. He hit 301 with 10 home runs and 36 RBIs. So to me, you got first base covered with Blake Burke. Second base, I believe, will be Christian Moore. Maui Ahuna from Kansas plugs in at short. Then you got the third baseman from Alabama, Zane Denton, plugged in right there. So your infield's set with some pretty good studs right there when we look at the bats that they swing. In terms of catching, that's an issue for those guys moving forward. Now let's take a jump out to the outfield. Tennessee returns Jared Dickey, who played in 40 games last year. He hit 380 with seven home runs. They also returned Christian Scott, who played in 50 games for Tennessee last year. Then once you plug and play outfielder from Cincinnati, Griffin Merritt, he's going to start day one. And they also think a JUCO product by the name of Colby Backus is going to expect to contribute as well. So in the outfield, I like I like the transfer from Cincinnati a lot. Proven player. He was the AAC player of the year. So you know he's ready to step up in competition. And then two guys that played a lot for them last year, a little bit more weight thrown on their shoulders as well. Moving on to the pitching staff. Their key losses were really in the bullpen. So they returned 83% of the game started last year. And really the only starter that they lost who actually dealt with some injury issues throughout the year is Blade Tidwell. So in 2022, he started nine games. He went three and two with a 3.00 ERA. From the pen side of things, they lost Ben Joyce. And if you remember, all he did was throw like 103. So Ben Joyce had 21 appearances with a 2.23 ERA. They lost Mark McLaughlin, 27 appearances with a 2.01 ERA. Will Mabry had 29 appearances. And then you think of all the staff that they had in terms of arms and velocity. They kind of had an unconventional closure last year and left-handed pitcher Redmond Walsh, but he had ice in his veins. 27 appearances with seven saves. So didn't throw nearly as hard as those guys, but had the mentality to get it done. He actually returns. To, he's on the staff this year for Tennessee. So as you can see, mainly in their bullpen where they're going to have to suck up some innings and figure out who slots in. But I tell you what, they have the best returning starting pitching rotation in the country. Bar none, hands down, no argument. The three starters they return are better than anybody in the country. 
and they had the numbers to prove it. And I would imagine they're looking to improve upon that this year. So if you don't remember who their starters are, they return right-handed pitcher Chase Dollander. He was the SEC Pitcher of the Year. 14 games started, 10-0 record, 2.39 ERA, 79 innings pitched with 108 Ks. Dominant stuff for a Friday night guy. And all he did was have a 175 batting average against. They also returned the National Freshman of the Year, right-handed pitcher Chase Burns. 14 games started, 8-2 record, 2.91 ERA, and all he did was strike out 103 in 80s innings pitched. And finally, they returned another freshman, and he was SEC Freshman of the Year, and that is Drew Beam. 15 games started, 8-1 record, 186 batting average against with a 2.72 ERA. It looks like they just handed out awards, and they didn't want to make, hurt anybody's feelings, so they decided to give Dollander, Burns, and Beam all a different award. SEC Pitcher of the Year, SEC Freshman of the Year, and then a National Freshman of the Year, and those guys all return. So there's no doubt about who those starters are for Tennessee in terms of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there's no doubt to me, in my opinion, who has the best starting rotation in the country. So I can't wait to see those guys come to Alec Fox during conference play. When you look at their pin, the key piece in their pen was Camden Sewell. He had an amazing year last year. 26 appearances, 2.52 ERA, 7-1 with 50 innings pitched. Kind of a do-it-all guy. It's a lot of decisions for a reliever. So I'll be interested to see if they slot him into a closer role or they feel like he's too valuable from that middle relief setup role and they want to leave him there with the ability to go one or two innings or go a little bit longer to get it to their closer. And from everything I could determine in red, it is yet to be determined. Um, but I'll be interested to see if Sewell steps into that spot. They also returned left-handed pitchers uh, Kirby Connolly, 30 appearances with a 1.66 ERA. It's amazing. Another lefty, Xander Sechrist, 11 games started with a 4-0 record with a 1.67 ERA. And then they're going to count on some Juco guys to kind of fill in that void. So Dollander Burns Beam. Starters return. They're locked and loaded. In the pen, you got Camden Sewell, a proven dude. He's ready to roll. And then I think the lefties, Kirby Connell, Xander Seacrest, and maybe some Juco dudes will help fill out the middle relief role. So from a staff's perspective, they look like they got it covered, really. It's just a matter of locking in that closer and then figuring out, besides Sewell, who's going to get the ball to, to that guy at the end of the game. As far as my 2023 prediction for Tennessee, look, I do not think they hit nearly as many home runs as they did last year, even in that launching pad that they call a ballpark. I do believe they have a ton of firepower. And transfers they brought in, as I mentioned, are plug-and-play Division I starters. Add that to guys that have a ton of experience, like Burke, Dickey, and more, and they seem to be set from a lineup perspective. But to me, you know, it's always a new batch every year. You're always dealing with different dynamics. So how will those guys adjust to being leaders and taking on starting roles? I don't know. They also need to find a catcher that's going to be able to handle this pitching staff. To me, I wouldn't care if he didn't hit a lick, but as long as he got along, had a good um, rapport with the pitching staff, and it could handle their stuff, then that's all I'd be looking for from a Tennessee perspective. Pitching-wise, one of the most complete staffs in the country, especially with that starting rotation. And then when you add Sewell in the pen. And I think that staff is going to be able to get them through some tough times while Vitello and the rest of that coaching staff figures out the lineup pieces, who's working and who's not working. But can they live up to the pressure 
and the expectations again with all those big names that are gone. Look, everybody was hyping them up last year, and they deserve to be hyped. But in the end, they didn't get to get out their own Super Regionals. So what I would imagine the pressure in Knoxville in terms of expectations is going to be amped up even more. In terms of the schedule, look, what happens if things go a little sideways in that five-game SEC stretch? You know, do they start feeling the pressure? You know, does the media or the fans kind of start getting on those kids back? So it's going to be interesting with A&M, LSU, Florida, Arkansas, and Vandy all back-to-back-to-back. You know, what if they drop two of those series and they go one and two? What if they drop a series at home? What if they're not playing well? Therefore, I predict the Tennessee Volunteers to go 20 and 10 in the SEC and finish first in the SEC East. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about LSU. Here we go, baby, the Fighting Tigers. Now, the way I did this, I've seen them play a ton in the fall and now in the spring, and I wanted to keep this very objective. I wanted to look at them just like I was looking at Tennessee, Arkansas, A&M. So I set everything up the exact same way, just how I've gone about everything else in every other preview pod. So LSU finished 40 and 22. Last year, they were 17 and 13 in conference play. They finished third in the SEC West. They went one and two in the SEC tournament, and they lost in the Southern Miss Regional. They finished the season ranked 25th in most polls. When you look at their team statistics from 2022, hitting, they tied for second in batting average at 289, second in slugging, second in run base, second in run scored. Look, LSU absolutely raked last year, third in the conference in home runs. They could flat out hit, and they had a ton of pop throughout that lineup, one through nine. Pitching, that was more ho-hum, and the statistics kind of bear that out. Six in team ERA at 4.32, six in opponent batting average, sixth in batters Cade. And really, when you look at the rest of the pitching categories, they ranked anywhere from sixth to eighth in the conference. And they were also last in saves. So to me, taking a step back, taking off my purple and gold glasses, a very average LSU pitching staff. They had a lot of struggles last year, and they really leaned on that bullpen in the end. I think it got them in the Southern Miss Regional. And I think I don't think that takes really going to surprise a lot of LSU fans. And to me, their stats really bore that out. Moving on to fielding, in one word, look, it was just bad. And I think that's one of the reasons why Coach Jay Johnson decided to take over some of the fielding responsibilities this year. They were last in the conference in fielding at 962. They tied for the most errors in the SEC. They finished 13 out of 14 teams for double plays turned, and they led the conference in pass balls. So once again, not surprising when you have those stats that your defense is just bad. And I would imagine there's no way I foresee that happening this year again in 2023. I think that's been a very big focus for the offseason. And seeing them several times that I have, I think the defense looks much improved. In terms of their schedule, first with the non-conference, LSU does play in the Round Rock Classic in Austin versus Kansas State, Iowa, and Sam Houston State. They also have a midweek game coming off that tournament at Texas, which will be very interesting. And then they do have a weekend series versus Samford. And Samford shouldn't be overlooked. Look, a very good program out of Birmingham. And they've actually, the past two years, have sent several guys to the SEC in the transfer portal. So it'll be interesting to see if you know somebody off this year's team ends up at an SEC program next year. Preseason-wise, look, I love it. They are the consensus number one team in the country, hands down. In terms of the portal, they had the number one ranked portal class. And they also had the number one ranked high school recruiting class for this year as well. When you get into the portal guys, they had the number one ranked transfer 
and Tommy White, a.k.a. Tommy Tanks, third baseman from NC State. All he did last year was hit 362 with 27 home runs, 74 RBIs. He set the NCAA record for home runs hit by a freshman, and he hit the third most home runs in the country as a freshman. They had the number two transfer in right-handed pitcher, DH slash catcher, Paul Skeens out of Air Force. This year, I think he's just going to pitch and DH. So Skeens last year for Air Force went 2.73 ERA, 10-3 and record, 15 games started. He threw 85 innings for the Falcons last year with 96 Ks. And, oh, by the way, he hit 314 with 13 bombs last year for Air Force. So Mr. Skeens can swing it as well. Another big addition to LSU this year, the number seven kid in the transfer portal is right-handed pitcher Thatcher Hurd from UCLA. Now, Hurd started off the year on fire, then he dealt with the back injury, so he really missed about half the year. But for the first half of the year, Thatcher Hurd's stats were amazing. 1.06 ERA, 2-0 record, six games started for the Bruins, 34 innings pitched, 48 Ks. So that young man was on quite a tear. 1.06 ERA, that's just phenomenal in six games. So he was absolutely doing some work on the West Coast. He also had a 138 batting average against. So truly impressive. And to me, he looks all healed up. I've seen him pitch a couple times. He's no holds barred out there. He looks like he is ready to roll from an injury perspective. LSU also got a Vanderbilt transfer, the number 29 ranked player on the list, right-handed pitcher Christian Little, who actually started last year for Vandy against LSU. Last year for the Commodores, he went 1-1 one one in 13 games with 26 innings pitched. He had a 3.08 ERA and 32 Ks. And to me, I think he's just looking to expand um, really his playing time. He's looking to get more innings on the mound, and he thought LSU was the best place to do it. And I think he is. I think he's got a big future ahead of him. And I've seen him go three and four innings the last couple times out. So I think big things here in the purple and gold for Christian Little. LSU was also able to snag Ben Napolt. Uh, infielder, second base shortstop out of VCU. He was a first-team A-10 conference player last year. He hit 308 with two home runs and 31 RBIs. And I think the biggest thing with Napolt, one, he's like a three-year starter from VCU. The other thing, 31 walks, 19 Ks. In today's day and age, you don't see that a ton. But just saying that, I think you know what kind of a hitter he is, what kind of a player he is, and that's what he's going to bring to the table for the Tigers this year. LSU also got Juco left-handed pitcher Nate, Nate Ackenhausen. And when you look at the number one ranked high school recruiting class, I'm just going to throw out some names for you. Not going to get really in-depth on these guys at this point in time. But in terms of pitchers, LSU went heavy on the pitchers. Uh, Right-handed pitchers, Jaden Newt, Aiden Moffitt, Chase Shores. You got left-handed pitchers, uh, Griffin Herring from Southlake, DJ Primo from Central Louisiana, outfielders Paxton Kling, Mick Paul, Zeb Ruddle from the Monroe area, and then infielder Gavin Guidry from Barb. Also, from a catching side of things, LSU really racked up with Brady Neal from IMG, Jared Jones, and then Ethan Fry from Louisiana. So just an amazing recruiting class, an amazing job done by Coach Jay Johnson. They really kind of hit it all, right? Pitching right and left-handed, a good stable of catchers, good outfielders, and then Gavin Guidry on the infield. Very impressive. Now moving on to 2023, what did LSU lose when you look at hitters, pitchers, and what do they have coming back? So let's start off with the hitters. Key losses, 
First of all, LSU will return 63% of their home runs and 66% of their RBI production from 2022. So they're not nearly in as bad a shape as some might think. But the key losses are Jacob Berry, as everybody could imagine. He led the team with a 370 average last year for the Tigers, 15 home runs and 48 RBIs. They also lost second baseman Cade Doty. He hit 298, 15 home runs, 57 RBIs. So right off the bat right there, you got to find a way to replace 30 home runs. Doty also had 19 doubles. And then they lost catcher Tyler McManus. He was a transfer from Sanford. He hit 283 with 10 home runs and 32 RBIs. So a lot of power right there that just went right out the door. When you look at the returners from LSU, to me it starts off with really potential number one pick in the draft, potential national player of the year, returning SEC player of the year, and that is Dylan Cruz, center fielder. Last year, Cruz hit 349 with 22 home runs and 72 RBIs. It's an amazing year by that young man. You also returned sophomore outfielder Josh Pearson, who wasn't even a part-time starter last year, if you remember. Well, he was a starter, but he didn't start every game. He kind of came into his own about 25% through the season, and then he just took off like a rocket after that. So last year, Pearson hit 299 with eight home runs and 35 RBIs. They bring back outfield DH. Braden Jobert with an amazing year last year with 18 home runs and 58 RBIs. I think you may see Jobert play a little bit more in the outfield than he did this past year. They also bring back Josh Stevenson in the outfield as well. On the infield side of things, first baseman Trey Morgan, who's an absolute stub when you look at what he can do with the bat and then defensively save so many runs and keep so many balls in front of him uh, from a fielding perspective. Morgan last year hit 324 with five home runs and 54 RBIs. They bring back shortstop Jordan Thompson. One thing I didn't know, and it just kind of got revealed in the media about a week, a week and a half ago, is that Thompson had a little bit of a knee procedure before the season. He was just kind of trying to get back healthy throughout the season. And I just think about the the rough year he had defensively last year and just uh, kind of some of the bad press that he took from the fan base you know, and everybody felt like it was a little down on Thompson last year. But I think when you look in hindsight, the fact that he was trying to play through an injury that he had fixed, he was trying to get healthy. To me, I think this year, I think he's going to have a bounce back year, Jordan Thompson. So for 2022, Thompson hit 286 with six home runs and 36 RBIs. Then you bring, bring back utility player who dealt with a lot of injuries last year, Gavin Dugas. So he can play outfield. He can DH. They're working him at second and third base right now. Gavin hit 306 with five home runs and 25 RBIs. You also bring back Alex Malazzo, who's probably going to start at catcher this year for the Tigers. He basically missed a whole year. So it'll be nice to see him behind the dish back healthy. You bring back Cade Beloso, who can DH and play first. He basically missed all of last year with an ankle injury, I believe. And then they also bring back Hayden Travinsky, who caught who DH, but a big-time power guy who hit six home runs for the Tigers in 2022. So from a hitting perspective, I think LSU looks pretty good with the returners and then what you have in terms of Tommy White and maybe some freshmen stepping in to uh, various roles. Moving on to the pitching staff, in terms of starters, you really only lost one starter, but he was your Friday night guy, and that was Mikhail Hilliard. 16 games started, 77 innings pitched with a 7-1 record. And I thought he just did a great job. Talk about maximizing your talent and your abilities at LSU. And I thought he was a warrior last year for the Tigers. But most of the losses for the LSU pitching staff 
come from the bullpen. They lost Paul Gervais, who had a 1.85 ERA, 4-1 record, 29 appearances, 6 saves. He really came into his own at the end of the year. LSU loses Eric Razelman, 29 appearances, 42 innings pitch with 66 Ks. He started out as the closer. Then him and Gervais kind of flip-flopped to where Razelman was setting up for Gervais. So really uh, powerful one-two combination back there in the pen. And as we all know, Razelman threw upper 90s, hit 100 a couple times, I believe. They lost some very experienced arms, guys that had been around the program a very long time. And Devin Fontenot with 23 appearances. Trent Vittmeyer with 20 appearances. And then finally, left-handed pitcher Jacob Hasty transferred to Mizzou. When you look at the returners, to me, it's a really mixed bag on the mound. A lot of freshmen that got experience that are a year older. Um, some guys that started last year that may move to the bullpen. And then you have some bullpen aces in my mind that are back for 2023. First, right off the bat, you got Ty Floyd, who went 5-4 and four last year. Floyd started 10 games for LSU. 3.77 ERA, 59 innings pitched with 70 Ks. To me, I think Floyd is a massive piece for LSU in 2023. I really think he started to come into his own at the end of the year. And now with pitching coach Wes Johnson's help and the development and confidence in other pitches besides just a fastball, more consistency with his off speed. And now he has a really good changeup to go along with his mid-90s fastball. I think Floyd is poised for a breakout year. They also return Blake Money who started 12 games for LSU in 2022. Money had 61 innings pitched. And in my opinion, I think Money's going to move to the pen this year. That's where I see him being the most successful. They also returned sophomore Sam Dutton. So last year, if you remember, Dutton became the Sunday starter in SEC play, kind of had an up and down go of it. And he was backed up by another freshman, sophomore this year, and then Grant Taylor. So Taylor had 17 appearances and 31 innings pitched. And then Dutton had 11 games started. So it's going to be interesting to see what Jay Johnson and Wes Johnson decide to do with Dutton and Taylor. Do they keep them in kind of those swing roles? Does Dutton start midweek and move to the pen for the weekend? Does Taylor, as many suspect, will he close to start the year? Even though in some scrimmages I've seen him stretched out to three or four innings and he has the stuff to do it. His velocity's ticked up a little bit this year to where I've seen him hit 96, 97. So I'm very curious to see what the plan is for those two guys in particular. When you look at the pin, look, they return left-handed pitcher Riley Cooper. He led the team last year with 30 appearances, 4.20 ERA and 40 innings pitched. And then right-handed pitcher Bryce Collins, who came over with Jay Johnson and Riley Cooper from Arizona. Bryce had 20 appearances with a 3.62 ERA. To me, and I've seen these guys pitch several times, they have looked phenomenal. Collins' velocity has jumped up four to five miles an hour to where he's 94, 95. Still has that big curveball. And Cooper, to me, I think he had a really rough start of the season last year, maybe trying to do too much. But after about the first two or three weeks of the season, he just got on a roll. And I loved it when he came in the game. I knew what to expect. He got up some big situations, big jams that they put him in late in the year and uh, really carried the load for that pin in the middle innings last year. So I think with Cooper and Collins, boom, you can just slot those guys anywhere from six to eight. And I think they could actually close if needed, if nobody's been identified. I think based on the fact that they've been around for three to four years, um, they pitched in big games. You know what to expect. They're not going to get rattled. I don't see a, a problem with moving those guys to the eighth and ninth inning if you needed to. So what's my 2023 prediction for the LSU Tigers? 
I think hitting-wise, you return two outfielders. Absolute stud in Dylan Cruz and Pearson, who had a really good year last year. And what can he do in a full-time starting role? I think you lock those two guys into a starting position. I've seen Pearson play a lot of left uh, in the fall and the spring. So I would say Cruz in center, Pearson in left. But then in right, I think you throw it up in the air. Braden Jobear is battling for a spot. I think Josh Stevenson is battling for a spot. The only question with me is what's his bat look like defensively. I think he's fabulous. And then I think the freshman, Paxton Kling, is really pushing for a lot of playing time as well. I don't want to forget Mick Paul and then um, Zeb Ruddle. I think they, they may be behind Kling, but I think there's a mix of guys right there where I think early in the season, Jay Johnson is going to throw a bunch of guys out there, maybe even Gavin Dugas, just to see what combination works best. When you look at the infield, Morgan at first, check that box. Thompson at short, check that box. Tommy White at third, he's there, penciled in. So the only question mark for me on the infield is second. And then from a catching perspective, I think Malazzo starts the year there. But can guys like Jones, Fry, and Neal, maybe more specifically Neal, can they push him for playing time as we end up in SEC conference play? When you look at the pitching staff, I think it's a little bit more of a question mark for me. To me, obviously, Skeens slots right in as the Friday night guy. I think Hurd and Floyd are battling for Saturday, Sunday. The order, I don't know if they have a preference on the order. I think they start the year out as um, your weekend guys. But then I think guys like freshman Chase Shores, I think the transfer from Vanderbilt, Christian Little, and then once again, Sam Dutton and or Grant Taylor are battling for that midweek slash third SEC weekend starter role. One thing to me is very interesting. You know, years and years ago, teams used to play, the season was shorter, right? So they would play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now they just play Tuesday. To me, with the young pitching staff and guys who you really want to get experience and get innings in, I would love for them to play Tuesday and Wednesday because that way you could split those games up, right? You could have little start one game. You could have you know, Shores or Dutton or Money start the other game, and those starters go three, and then you divide up the other six innings between relievers that need to get some mound time, right? That's a great opportunity first good midweek competition for guys to get mound time, guys like the lefties like Herring and Primo, Aiden Moffitt. You also have some returners like Garrett Edwards, who's made a big jump last year, for him to get more innings under his belt, then potentially see what they can do on the weekend. But ultimately, I think the key is going to be the second and third starter and then who's going to close games. I think you've got enough arms in the pen. Who's going to be that lockdown closer like we saw with Gervais really at the end of last year? And then who's going to be the second and third starters in terms of providing consistency and stuff after schemes on Friday that can really try to get you those series wins in the SEC? Therefore, I predict the LSU Tigers to go 21-9 and in SEC play and finish first in the SEC West. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's SEC preview of Tennessee and LSU. Thank you all for tuning in. As a reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel for all the content. Follow me on Twitter at 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPod. This podcast, as always, will be available Apple, Google, Spotify, other major audio platforms. One more episode to go before the 2023 season kicks off at Alec Box Stadium. And the next episode, I will take a deep dive into the LSU baseball team, looking at each position. I will make some more predictions, getting you ready for the first pitch, the first weekend series for the consensus number one team in the country. 
I know y'all are ready. I can't wait. I'm ready for these guys to play somebody else besides their opponents in purple and gold. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.